Well, hey, everybody, again, and uh, once again, those of you that are joining us this morning, we're so glad you're here. Um, take a look at, the, at this picture. Anybody know who this man is? This is all the way, goes all the way back to 1891. You, you, the objects he's holding may be a little bit of a clue for you. This is Dr. James Naismith, and he was the inventor of the American sport of basketball. He was a grad student at the YMCA International Training School in Springfield, Michigan, and, excuse me, Springfield, Massachusetts, and he was asked by his boss to come up with an indoor sport that would keep the athletes in shape uh, inside, indoors, during the, the, the brutal winters that they had. And so he, he came up with this idea of nailing a peach basket to the railing of a balcony and then playing with this soccer-style ball. And he came up with about 13 rules to create the game of basketball. Take a look at this next picture. It, it, it's a little bit light, a little bit dim there, but you can see the, the, uh, the peach basket nailed to the back. This is the, the first, this is the original basketball court. And, uh, and, the, the, and the only problem was, when they, it took them a long time to figure this out. When every time somebody would score a goal, they had to go get a ladder out and bring a ladder out and climb up and take the ball out of the basket. Until they finally figured out if they would cut the bottoms out of the peach baskets, they wouldn't have to worry about that anymore. And so there you go. That's the very beginning of, of modern-day basketball. It uh, truly is an American sport, a great American sport. And uh, uh, the first time that basketball became one of the official sports of the Summer Olympics was way back in 1936. 1936. And America dominated the basketball uh, competition at the Olympics. We won the gold medal every Olympics uh, for the next several Olympics, all the way up until 1972, when the U.S. lost to, of all people, the Soviet Union. A very controversial ending to that game. In fact, so controversial, the Americans would not even re refuse to accept the silver medal at that game. Well, from that time on, the next uh, 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 three out of the five next Olympics, the Americans lost. They only won two champion, two gold medals in the next five Olympics. And so finally enough was enough. The, the U.S. Olympic Co Committee, and the, the problem was is that they were playing college students, college guys playing, playing the game, while these uh, seasoned men were playing for these uh, European and, and uh, other uh, foreign teams, and, and they, were, they, were, they were figuring the game out. They were getting better and better every year to the point that they were beating the U.S. And so finally, the U.S. Olympic Committee signed off on having professionals play the game. And thus became one of the, in fact, some people call it, said that this is still to this day one of the greatest sports teams ever put together, what was called the Dream Team, the American Dream Team for the U.S. Olympics and for the Olympic team in 1992. And, uh, and, boy, and boy, was it a dream team. I mean, names like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Charles Barkley and, of course, the great, some say the greatest ever uh, what, let's see, what was that guy's name? Oh, yeah, yeah, Michael Air Jordan. <laughs> In fact, I, I suspect some of you, perhaps the best thing, uh, sports program that's been going on here during this quarantine time, uh, in my mind anyway, has been ESPN's production of, of The Last Dance about Michael Jordan and the Bulls and all that kind of stuff. Uh, how many of you, well, never mind, I, I, I'd ask you how many have been watching it, except I can't see your hands, right? Um, uh, the Dream Team. 
uh, swept the entire world in the basketball competition. It was made up of highly qualified individuals. In fact, at that time, the most highly qualified individuals that were gathered together to accomplish a purpose. And lo and behold, certainly they did. Again, they dominated everybody else. They easily won the gold medal, accomplishing uh, what the, the Olympic Committee so longed in their hearts, so desired in their hearts, and most of all, what every American desired to see happen as well. Well, guess what? God also has something in his heart that he longs to see happen. In fact, he has something he desires to see accomplished in your generation by you. Wonderful verse, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other words, God's dream team is not composed of those who are the most talented or the most gifted or the greatest ever. His dream team are com is composed by those who are the most committed, those whose hearts are fully committed to him, as the verse says. Well, as we come to this next section in Paul's letter uh, that he has written to the church of Philippi, he describes the characteristics of what I'm calling God's dream team, and particularly as they are displayed in two young men, the lives of two men who were very near and dear, both to the Apostle Paul and to the church at Philippi. Their names were Timothy and Epaphroditus. Look with me in, in verse 19 of chapter 2. Paul first describes the young man Timothy. He writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will follow, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Well, it's very, very likely that the Apostle Paul actually led Timothy to faith in Christ on his very first missionary journey when he passed through Timothy's hometown. You notice in verse 22 that he speaks of Timothy, uh, quote, as a son with his father. Now, the implication there is that Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. In fact, some four different times in the letters that Paul writes, he refers to Timothy in this way until the very final time is in 2 Timothy. And in that occasion, he simply refers to him as his son, as his son. It's a very, very fascinating and wonderful and very sweet thing. Well, Timothy joined the Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys to Philippi, to Thessalonica, to Berea, to Corinth, to Ephesus, and then ultimately all the way with the Apostle Paul to the city of Rome, where Paul was imprisoned. Well, Timothy and Paul shared a common heart together. Verse 20, we saw Paul says, I have no one else like him. New American Standard translation of that verse says, says it like this. Paul says, I have no one else of kindred spirit. The term means literally 
who is same-souled, same-souled. They had like hearts. They had like minds. They both shared the mind of Christ. Their hearts were linked together. In the Old Testament, the only comparison we have really is the friendship between David and Jonathan, which is described in 1 Samuel chapter 18 uh, as though their souls were knit together. Now that's Timothy and Paul. Paul's saying, I'm sending Timothy to you as soon as I can, because if, if you get him, it's just like getting me, in essence. Well, then the Apostle Paul reveals to us why Timothy is qualified, if you will, to be on God's dream team. Timothy was a man of compassion. Verse 20, Paul writes, I have no one else like him, again, of kindred spirit, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Timothy was a man who genuinely cared for others. He was someone who modeled that Christ-like attitude that the Apostle Paul, as he described the Lord Jesus in the very first part of chapter 2, one who was humble, one who was servant-oriented, one who was obedient, even to death. And Paul, as he described early in this chapter, he was one of those people, Timothy was one of those people who never gave you any cause to question the authenticity with which he genuinely cared for others. You know, some people are like that. You just kind of wonder when, when, you, when you meet them, are, are, they, are they really that sincere or not? With Timothy, it was never a concern. And that was a rare trait. It was a rare trait then, uh, just apparently then, just as much as, as it is in our day today. Verse 21, Paul says, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying that he could trust Timothy to make the, the difficult journey back to be with the Philippians because he knew that Timothy would not get distracted, that Timothy would not get diverted along the way because he would be driven every step along the way by that authentic compassion that he had for the Philippians, his love for God, his love for Paul in such a way that there would be no way that he would do anything to let any of them down. Well, in the book entitled We Were Soldiers Once and Young, written by Hal Moore and Joe Galloway, uh, who served together in the Vietnam War, the essence of this compassion that we're talking about here about Timothy uh, is expressed as they write about their experience together as soldiers in Vietnam. And they write in one section, Another and far more transcendent love came to us unbidden, on the battlefields, we discovered that in that depressing, hellish place where death was our constant companion, that we loved each other. We killed for each other, we died for each other, we wept for each other, and in time we came to love each other as brothers. They write, we held each other's lives in our hands, and we learned to share our fears, our hopes, our dreams as readily as we shared what little else good came our way. You see, in Timothy's case, it was an authentic compassion that he possessed that had been forged in the furnaces of the battles for the gospel that he had fought alongside the Apostle Paul on so many different occasions. 
And so Paul makes it very clear that there just weren't a lot of people that he could trust like that. He knew that Timothy could do the job because Timothy had a a singular focus in his life, a singular focus to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and be as effective as he possibly could could in however that the Lord Jesus called him to do and, and to be. That's the way he was. Well, another thing that made Timothy a dream teamer was his consistency. Verses 22 to 24. Paul writes, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. The Apostle Paul says that Timothy has proved himself. That, that uh, word that the Apostle used uh, is literally, it literally means caliber. He's saying Timothy was a, a high caliber kind of person. He had been with Paul when he founded the church at Philippi. He made a couple of trips back to the church at Philippi, two other journeys back to Philippi. In other words, the Philippians had already experienced the character of Timothy. They, they already knew him to a, a great extent in, in such a way that, that Paul knew that they could have confidence in who he was and the kind of person that he was. So all Paul needed to do was really just to point out Timothy's consistent track record and essentially say, listen guys, you know what a high caliber of man this is. This is a man of proven, consistent character. You have no reason to doubt, no reason to question. Well, as I thought about this, I I know it it sounds like an obvious question in some ways, but why do you think it is that that consistency was so, so very important to the Apostle Paul? Because he has felt the sting in the past from men around him who lacked, severely lacked, that kind of character. In fact, in, in one of the letters that he wrote to Timothy, the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he actually names names, one of whom was Demas, who apparently deserted Paul in a time of tremendous need. You see, inconsistency of character can totally disrupt a mission. It can disrupt a church. It can disrupt a company. It can disrupt a family. Inconsistency. And it also, please know that at any given time, unbelievers are looking in. Unbelievers are looking in on the church. They're looking in on God's people. And so inconsistency for them creates a skepticism and a confusion in their hearts and minds as they are looking in. Dream teamers are not superstar talents They are superstar people of character. Character. They have consistency of character. They are consistent. Well, now Paul then goes on to describe another dream teamer. Verse 25. He writes, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then... 
welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. See, dream teammates are compassionate, they are consistent, and they possess an unwavering commitment, an unwavering commitment. The problem, uh, like, like we, we've just read, the problem of reading someone else's mail, which is essentially as we're reading the, the letter of Paul to the Philippians, uh, especially one that's a couple of centuries old, is trying to determine just exactly what circumstances Paul is addressing here, referring to, alluding to, so on and so forth. But as best as scholars have put this together, this seems to be what took place. When the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, they immediately put, collected a fund, a, a, a gift of much-needed funds for the Apostle Paul, and they sent an emissary. They sent a man, this young man named Epaphroditus to take the gift to the Apostle Paul. But not only was Epaphroditus a bearer of this gift, but they also intended for Epaphroditus to remain with Paul to be there to serve him, to, to help out with and assist him in whatever way he most needed that. That was the goal. Uh, but, but what happened was is that when Epaphroditus arrived in Rome, some point along the way, he became extremely ill. So ill that, again, as Paul, as we just saw a moment ago, that he almost died, as we read in verse 30. Uh, in other words, Epaphroditus was a young man of deep, deep commitment. And notice the, the many wonderful word descriptions that the apostle uses in verse 25 of Epaphroditus. He refers to him as my brother, my co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of and to minister to my needs. Paul wants to assure the Philippians that Epaphroditus is okay physically, but he's also, because Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians, he doesn't want any of them to get the impression, any naysayers in Philippi, to think for some reason that, that well, Epaphroditus must be a quitter. Paul wants to make sure that they understand that Paul has no question whatsoever about the commitment of Epaphroditus. And he doesn't want the Philippians to have any question either as well. Well, that kind of commitment is something I, I think you would, would readily agree that that's rare to behold. I've heard it in stories of missionaries over the years, the early missionaries to Africa who actually packed their coffin with their belongings that were shipped over with them to the, to the continent of Africa. Uh, the Moravian missionaries who felt God's call to reach the slaves in the West Indies, and yet the slave owners refused to allow them to come. And so what did they do? They sold themselves into slavery in order that they might be able to reach those slaves for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Few within the body of Christ are willing to make that kind of commitment. Let's just be honest, straightforward about this. Few in the body of Christ are willing to make that kind of commitment. Few in the body of Christ are willing to make the kind of commitment that Epaphroditus had. G.K. Chesterton, the great English writer and lay theologian, <clears throat> lay theologian once said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. You know, far too many of us shy away from commitment 
simply because it can be hard. Because it can be hard. And you know what? It is hard. It is hard. But we cannot be afraid of it. We cannot. Well, notice one other characteristic of God's dream teamers. They are also courageous. End of verse 30, Paul writes that Epaphroditus risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves, he writes, could not give me. You see, uh, when you think about this, there are two things that Epaphroditus knew for sure when he left Philippi to take that gift of the Apostle Paul in Rome. He knew, one, that it was going to be a very dangerous journey that he was about to take, like 800 miles. And back in that day, that was a long, long, long way. 800 miles over land and sea, a very difficult journey to get to the Apostle Paul. And then second of all, he also had no idea what kind of reception he would be given by the Roman authorities when he arrived in Rome and identified himself with the Apostle Paul, who was a prisoner of Rome. He was basically gambling with his own life by doing so. In fact, that word that Paul that we have translated as wrist actually means to gamble, to gamble. Epaphroditus gambled with his life. But his courage indicates the depth of the commitment that we talked about a few moments ago. Oswald Chambers writes, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. It's a great thing to keep in mind at this time in our lives, is it not? You see, fear says it may be possible, but it's too difficult. Courage says it may be difficult, but all things are possible with God. Fear says there's a problem in every answer. Courage says there's an answer in Christ for every problem. Uh, it was around 250 A.D. Uh, when a movement sprang up of both men and women who called themselves the Parabolani. The Parabolani. Uh, in fact, that, that name is taken from the very word that the Apostle Paul used to describe Epaphroditus that meant riskers or gamblers. The Parabolani risked their lives to minister to those who were sick and to those who were imprisoned. And one of the, a tremendous example is was in, that in, in 252 A.D. in the city of Carthage, a plague broke out. I mean, a terrible pandemic, and we, we think what we're going through is rough. I mean, the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people just in the city of Carthage, Carthage were dying, and the people were scared to death. In, in fact, literally, when somebody got sick, they were taking them and throwing them out the window. And then they were taking them and throwing them out of, outside of the city. And then they would just let them die out there, and they wouldn't bury them. they just let their bodies rot. So they were, and many of them were just trying to get out of the city. So, but instead of getting out of the city, what happened is these, these believers, particularly under a, a particular bishop by the name of Cyprian, chose to go into the city instead and to minister to those who were ill, nursing many of them back to health. Those that died, they, were, they, gave, they made sure that they had proper burial in the process. The parabolani, the riskers, the gamblers, that's what they became known as. Epaphroditus, in essence, was a forerunner of these parabolani. Not even the threat of death could hold him back. And so he had won the deep respect of both the Apostle Paul 
and Paul, of the Apostle Paul, and Paul wanted to make sure, make certain that the church at Philippi had that same respect for Epaphroditus as well. And he was not willing to settle for less. Well, as we've looked at the lives of these men who were God's dream team, I hope you didn't find yourself at any point beginning to think that, that you did not qualify. Again, that, that dream, that, that, uh, the, unlike the Olympic dream team, the dream team of Timothy and Epaphroditus didn't qualify because they were super talented or super gifted. They qualified because of their character. The kind of character qualities that any and all of us can choose to have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Compassion, consistency, commitment. Encourage. And as I said at the beginning, God longs, God longs to do his work in and through our lives in this generation. He longs to, to show his strength toward those who are fully committed to him, toward those who are willing to, to choose to possess and, and, and to engage in these kind of qualities of character. What is it that God wants to use you in this generation, to make a difference in, in, your, in your family, in your household, in your city, in your community, even in our world. Well, here's what I'd like for you to do. This is your homework for today. Uh, before you start doing anything else, I would ask that you do two things. Number one, um, if you're with others in a room there, Tell those others in the room which of those character qualities that you see most in their lives. Compassion, consistency, commitment, courage, or any combination of the above. Which one of those character qualities do you see most readily in their lives and why? Why do you think that? Now, if you're by yourself, if there's nobody there in the room with you, obviously, then think of someone that you can send a text to, send an email to, give a phone call to, and tell them the same thing. Just say, hey, I, 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 my pastor just said we had to do this, and I just want to let you know that I see you as a person of tremendous godly compassion, and then tell them why. And then here's the second thing. Take a few moments to talk and to dream together to think how God might want to use you to accomplish something very special in, in, in your generation, very special right now in the midst of all that we're going through, whether it's within your family and whether it's within our, our city and our community, within our church, within our world. What is it that God would want to, to use your life to make an, an impact? Would you do that? So take a few minutes now before you do anything else. Oh, let me pray. Now may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you peace both now and forevermore, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.